Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. First Chronicles 21 begins with hearing that they are taking a census of the Hebrew people. Some translations have the word Satan as a proper name um, and, and capitalized there. Others believe that the right rendering would be an adversary. An adversary stood up against Israel and incited David to count the people. The name Satan literally means adversary. Satan is our adversary. He's the adversary of God, and we're kind of caught in that struggle. So this may mean that there was an adversary who arose against David, and David decided he needed to know exactly how many fighting people that he had, or it may literally mean that Satan, um, the opposer of God, came against David and got him to do something that wasn't something he should be doing. In verse 7, we see that this thing that is displeasing could either be the census itself or it could be the omission of Levi and Benjamin of those tribes in the counting. This comes up a couple of chapters later when it is portrayed that Joab didn't finish what he started and that that might have brought the plague on. Remember that when we get there. The chronicler tends to portray David favorably. So he's probably trying to tell us that it was Joab's omission of these two tribes that led to God's displeasure. In the book of Samuel, it's portrayed a little bit differently, and it seems as though David's ego, some hubris might be getting in the mix, that maybe he's wanting to tax the people or um, talk about his accomplishments. We remember that way back in the very beginning, Abraham was told that the Israelite people would be as numerous as the stars, that they would be uncountable. So it may be that this idea of counting them begins to place ourselves on a level with God by knowing as much as God does. There are many possibilities here. Gad is David's seer or prophet, as that will later come to be called, and he gets to choose a consequence just like he did in the book of Samuel. David here has a supernatural spiritual vision Ornan's threshing floor is chosen as the site of the temple. David is able to offer sacrifices there other than just at the tabernacle without any condemnation being listed here. Um, Apparently, the rule that worship could only happen in the one place, also the rules that only priests could offer those sacrifices, tend to be a little bit fluid depending on... um, based on how God is leading and what God's relationship with the people who are conducting these actions. Chapter 22, David is going to turn his attention to preparing to build the temple. He donates a lot of his own materials, but Solomon is the one who's to be the builder. He's going to be a ruler of peace. David has been called a man of war. Um, Solomon, his son, will rule over 
Israel during a time of peace and prosperity, kind of the golden age, and that is the time for the building of temples. But the activity here, the planning, the gathering of materials is going to keep David connected strongly both to that time of prosperity and to the temple itself. It's going to be called Solomon's Temple, but David is going to be remembered as the high point of the kings of Israel. Chapter 23, David officially declares that Solomon is going to be his successor. We become introduced here to a family and tribe system based on their duties and duty rosters that are assigned based on tribes and families. This also functions as a way of counting the Levites. So it is a completion of the census, even though we don't outright say so. For the Levites, there are going to be four roles to which they will be assigned. Some will work in the house of the Lord, assisting the priests. Some will be officers and judges. Some will be gatekeepers, and some will be musicians. The literary structure of this part of the book, as we move in chapter 23 and into chapter 24, they start by talking in the first part of the literary structure about the sons of Levi. These are the Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the Merarites that we've heard about before. Then we move to talking about the sons of Aaron proper, who will be priests, and then to other Levites. What it is doing here is emphasizing the middle. So it's like a crescendo. You get louder and then um, come off a little bit. So the sons of Aaron become the climax, the high point of the three sections of this part of the story. In chapter 24, verse 7, we see the orders laid out of the priests. I want to call your attention to the eighth order, the order of Abijah. If you will remember when we read through Luke, Zechariah, who was married to Elizabeth, who is, they are the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah was serving in the temple when the angel came to him and said that his wife, was who had not been able to have children, was going to conceive and have a son. And it tells us there that he was of the order of Abijah. Chapter 25 Temple musicians are going to be assigned. We said earlier that under David's rule, all of the significant religious events will have music. That's a change at this point. There have been trumpet blasts or the blowing of the shafar, the ram's horn, but there hasn't been a lot of music. Now there's going to be music that comes with it. They don't just sing, they prophesy. You can hear that over and over Musicians also have a military function. We'll see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Chapter 26 moves us on to the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers are temple security. Their presence assigned at the gates and the entrances to the temple and the spaces are going to allow both the temple and the city of Jerusalem to operate without disruption. This does give a precedent for the fact that sometimes we need security at our events and even sometimes at church to prevent disruption. The chapter also addresses officers and judges. Officers are the ones who are overseeing the temple and the royal treasuries. They're the finance committee. 
Um, they are the record keepers, the accountants, the financial administrators of the temple and the royal treasury. We also have judges. Judges are going to be the judicial representatives of King David to the areas outside of Jerusalem. They're the ones who are going to be the decision makers, settle disputes, um, make sure that life is happening in a fair and just way. Chapter 27 gives us military divisions. These military people were responsible for the defense of the king and for the city of Jerusalem, and they do so in monthly shifts. Then we have tribal leaders who were appointed. The tribal leaders won't rotate in the same way that others do. They are appointed to lead a particular tribe. Chapter 27, verses 23 and 24 comes back to the census. Um, It says that Joab started it, but doesn't finish it, that David has to finish it for him. And it makes it sound like Joab just neglected his responsibility. And it implies that the wrath comes because Joab did not finish it. So it's an interesting take on the census. Verses 25 through 34 come back to talk about civil officials. They oversee David's own property. They take care of his lands and his crops, his herds, the things that belong to him. We also have an appointment of others who will serve the family as counselors. One is called a friend, um, as commander of the army, someone that he trusts and can put the army into him. And then those who would take care of his sons. It still is very common for royal families to have governesses. This would have been the equivalent of that. They were to take care of, oversee, raise, and educate the king's sons. Chapter 28 shows David calling a formal assembly of all the people of Israel. As he gets older, he realizes his reign is going to come to an end. He wants to provide for a peaceful transfer of power to his son Solomon, whom he has chosen. So he wants to prepare for this transition. He realizes that a smooth transition is going to require the support and the acceptance of Solomon by his military leaders and his property officials. So he gives these grand speeches, he explains things, he shares with them what he believes God has said to him. In chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, David charges Solomon with his duties. He tells him, if you seek God, you will find him. Don't forsake God. Stay on the path. Have a singleness of mind. Be determined to follow God. Chapter 28, verses 11 through 18, show David then sharing his detailed plans for the temple with all of the people. It's not just the plans for the building itself, but for all the furnishings to go in it, as well as the personnel who will run it and maintain it. David is providing all that is needed, materials to do it with, plans of how it should be done. Even though Solomon is going to be the temple builder, it is, after all, the Davidic dynasty that through which it is happening. In chapter 29, David now invites others to participate 
in the creation of the temple. He invites them to give of both their material resources as well as their labor, the things that they know and are good at doing to be part of making it happen. He's not compelling them to do it. He's inviting them to give free will offerings toward this. It really is true that we value what we invest in. Uh, Things that are free, we often attach a very similar value to. What is done for us doesn't seem to be held as dearly as that for which we have to work. So it's very wise of him to invite all the people to be part of making this happen. And the people respond impressively. They give very generously, and there is great rejoicing at their generosity and their unity. They are, as David has compelled Solomon, of single mind. They they are all committed to making this happen. Verses 10 through 19 of this chapter are a prayer that are offered that is offered by David. If you look, you can see some similarities with the Lord's Prayer in the way it um, honors God. It uses some language that's not exactly identical, but this would have been one of the prayers, most likely, that Jesus would have had in mind when he gives his disciples the model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer when they ask him to teach them how to pray. Verses 20 through 25 are the last words of David, and they are a command for Israel to bless God. And we see them do this immediately. Um, Then David goes on to host a banquet. We have a good final going away party there with fantastic feasts and amounts of generosity. The feast also becomes Samuel's, excuse me, Solomon's coronation. When it says that he is anointed king a second time, what they're saying is that now the people are affirming what David has already declared to have been decided. All of the potential opponents, all of those who might have rose up against Solomon being handed the kingdom instead of having earned it as a leader, come by and they they bind themselves to Solomon. They pledge their loyalty to him. This is going to be a smooth transition. In verse 29, we are told that this wish for a smooth transition and for the establishment of a dynasty under David comes to fruition. It says that Solomon achieves even greater glory than David, which I think is interesting because it still feels like we hold David in higher esteem than we do Solomon. Um, When we talk about him, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true for the Jewish people. Certainly, they feel like there's an awful lot that Solomon has contributed as well. In the closing three verses of the book, 1 Chronicles ends with a summary of David's reign. And in verse 28, David passes away. By placing David's death after Solomon's coronation, and a statement of his success as king, the chronicler, the author of this book, is saying to us that Solomon's successful rise to power as king, his his even surpassing his own father as a king, is an accomplishment that should be given to David's reign. And with that statement and that assertion, the book of 1 Chronicles comes to a close. Thank you.